Hello, and you're listening to Let's Drone Out. And special thank you to our lovely patrons that help donate so that we can pay the editor to remove the swear words and silly things we say. Massive thank you to... Carlos Campos. Art Faulkner. Sam Dharma. Mikey Dread. On with the show. Let's Drone Out. Hello and welcome to Let's Drone Out. Thank you for joining us. Today is Thursday the 9th of the 12th, 2021. Uh, you everyone's favourite curry kitten. Oh, that's me. Hello. Uh, oh, my Google bird. <laughs> I think. Is, uh, okay. And uh, Stephen. Hello. Uh, my darling wife, T- Tony. Bonjour. With Coco, his doggo. Can you give us like a little pretend work as if she'd done it? <laughs> okay, fantastic. And our Lord and Master Frank. Hello. And I'm bright until I fly. Hello. And let's start the show. Stephen, you already start milking. <laughs> <laughs> All on you now. I'll give over. Yeah. I've just. Oh, yeah. I've got we'd, my we'd better here. introduce got who we've fingers. got on first. Yeah. This this yep. man over here, Omi Googlybird, or better known as Rupert, is the uh, holder, many holders of world records for FPV planes. He basically flies uh-huh. them very very fast, and I thought he'd be a great person to get on because aside from the fact that it can be exciting to fly wings, lots of people. Are probably interested to know how you make them go faster and stuff. And I did have a quick a quick video to show. I think loads of people, like over a hundred thousand people, have watched um, your last video, Rupert. With yeah, that in two weeks, thing going really, really quickly. Yeah. Yeah. But going back to the olden days um, when you were flying measly six S fun jets, I wanted to show the launch to people about what, what how you did it because mm-hmm. there is so much talk roll when you're winding up your motors, um, it looks pretty interesting. So I've got my video up quickly. This is from uh, one of our Mad Dogs meets um, many years ago. And before Rupert even gets to the part where he throws the plane, what he has to do is pace up and down, psyching himself up. (laughs) Because to say it's a bit of a handful, like I am a terrible line of sight flyer. I can barely sort of throw it and get back on the sticks. This is how Rupert launches it. You won't be able to hear it um, because the town doesn't come through. But that's what it does. It just rolls over and over. And then the other thing Rupert seems to have is magic eyes because I can't see it. And then he can see it. And then all you see is the thing come past it like 200 miles an hour, uh, like a couple of inches off the ground, a bit like an Exocet missile. That's cool. And... um, yeah, this this is the sort of thing he does, and this is this is why Rupert's kind of the one person who I'm sort of always excited to see flying line of sight because it actually makes it look exciting. Normally, I think line of sight's boring; it's going around in circles, go to FPV. When you do that, when you have magic eyes, and then this missile just goes, choom, comes through. It's amazing. <laughs> and if you if you if you want to watch that video uh, with sound on on it's on my channel, you will also hear it come back doing a glide. And that is one of the most amazing noises as well. The, just the sound of it displacing the air without motor. It's just like, woo, it's amazing. Welcome, Rupert. How, the, our, our regular question for all guests is, how did you get into uh, RC flying? Uh, how, how did you get into it? What's your, what's your history? Um, how did I get into it? When I, hello, everybody. Um, when I was about eight or something, I think my dad took me to a model club back in the 80s. And uh, we learned with a high wing trainer. He built it. I flew it, uh, nitro plane, and learned learned to fly that. Uh, learned to crash it. We learned to repair it. Um, but I don't know. It was kind of boring. 
I started to get a bit bored of it. And so my dad got me a thing called a Myrus, which was a, a delta wing kind of engine at the front, but a delta wing and, and a tail at the back. And uh, it was like 110 miles an hour, probably, I should think. But it really, like, gave me a kick. You know, I really enjoyed it compared to flying trainers. So I crashed that in the end and then kind of gave up modelling for years, really, until what I call the Hobby King era, when uh, all of a sudden LiPo batteries and, you know, really cheap prices from China and actually quite good equipment uh, became something, you know, started to become more mainstream. I, I kind of, it was actually... Um, Mike Brewer of uh, uh, Older your aunt. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's him. Yeah, he flew at one of our local model clubs, and ye- like ten years ago, he had a quadcopter, and he had a camera on it, and he had a pair of goggles, and he was flying it around. And I thought, I thought that's crazy. Like he's actually flying on board that thing, and it, and I put the goggles on, and I was absolutely, I was just blown away. Obviously, it was ten-year-old tech. It was tiny little screens and, uh, you know, a little camera, and it was all over the place and whatever. But the fact was, like, he was flying it remotely, and I, I've always wanted to fly, but kind of don't really fancy general aviation because, you know, obviously the cost and everything like that. So this gives you a, a kind of way to put your head in the sky. Um, and he said it's called FPV, and I was like, wow, so straight on YouTube, you know, what is FPV? And then kind of w- went from there, really, in the same interest in you know that i flew a bixler to start with and then all, i put the two and two together like i really enjoyed going fast and i want to do it fpv and just it's just snowballed from there really how how did you practice the launches because i mean that that slower launch that curry showed us looked incredibly difficult and when you're dropped from the quad and the power kicks in it's just squirreling around how, how do you do that the, there's a to go fast, you need a small plane, and with a small plane with a lot of power, it's going to talk well. So there's, there's a kind of tipping point where you haven't got a lot of power and you haven't got a lot of weight, and you can throw it overhand and it will just fly out your hand straight. And there's a, a point beyond that where it hasn't got enough power to go vertically, but when you launch it, it's got so much power still, it rolls over. So that's that really doesn't work. So it's, it's best to miss that step out and go straight for something really powerful that will vertically launch. And whilst it looks scary and... Most people that can fly a line of sight can fly a vertical roll. So it's just a case of starting your flight with a vertical roll. So, you know, as soon as you let go of the plane, it's gyroscopically keeping itself straight up near enough. It'll follow a kind of a bit of an arc, but pretty pretty much it goes straight up. And when it's up to airspeed, you just come out of the roll and fly away. So there's no, everything happens quite high off the ground. You know, it's, if you launch overhand, it's, you're, you're very close. So you just want to get that 50, 100 metres of altitude yes. right away. <laughs> And straight away, you know, it's, it's the ground that's going to cause you problems. So it seems like just just getting right get right in the air is a good way to do it. And, and when you're doing the opposite, you're dropping off the quad. Yeah, so, so yeah, dropping off the quad. It's um, it's this plane is a lot heavier, so um, it's got a lot. You know, it's nine kilowatts as opposed to sort of two or three. So the energy in the blades is pretty scary. If you run it, you know, it, it really does not make you want to hold it. You know, it's it's pretty terrifying to hear running. So. I didn't really fancy holding it with the carbon blades. You know, they're a bit of an unknown at that power. So, you know, I think they'd probably go through me and come out the other side. So the drone really is the only option. And it's, again, that's pretty pretty easy. Just send it up. It's a DJI controller. So it just goes straight up from where you took off and you just pull pull the release lever and off it drops. And um, then when you when you open the, th- the power, there's still that same thing where it'll, it'll kick around a couple of times and then... Um, once he gets enough airspeed for the control services to take over. It sounds a bit more dangerous, though, because you're pointed at the ground with the power on at that point, waiting for it to yeah, even out, aren't you? you've got airspeed. So, the, the, you know, the main thing for a plane is obviously height and airspeed. If you haven't got either of those, you're going you're gonna to hit the ground. So mm. dropping from the drone, the first thing that happens is it starts to pick up airspeed, and it's already high off the ground. So you're high off the ground and you're moving fast, so there's no reason why it won't fly. So Okay. There's not a so you don't have the problem with the rolling and waiting for it to come out of the roll as much um i did on one of, one of the drops actually with a two rearward cg it took too long for it to pull its nose down so i do run it slightly higher slightly more um, nose heavy so that um when it drops it distinctly falls nose down and begins mm. to, to get airspeed so do you instantly have control because there's air moving over the surfaces as you fall or yeah, do you pretty, still pretty, need pretty, speed Pretty quickly, yeah. I mean, it's it, it obviously it'll fall a little bit before it starts to put its nose down. And once the nose is down, then the airspeed picks up, and you've not got enough control to pull up. But you know, you start to be able to roll the way you want to go. And yeah, because 
Because like the last the video that I saw, you had some really low lying like mist or cloud yeah, or whatever, right. and you dropped, and it was like, what is this guy doing? I, you can't see anything. Like, it, are you mental? Yeah, the, <laughs> and the then, drop, so the drop was okay. That that was fine. It was just once I climbed up away from the drop, it it was yeah, cloud was at three hundred meters. So, um, yeah, just just hit that. So a, a lot of people think, oh, it's good flying planes because you like fly for 40 minutes and stuff like that. Now, on that fun jet thing, I had a feel of that battery after you flew it for three minutes and it hurt my hand because it was roasting hot. You get, what, one or two minutes out of those 6S flights and that, that 14S one, that, that was pretty much done, wasn't it, after those, those couple of runs? Yeah, so the, the one that you saw fly, that is actually a minute of full throttle. So from the minute, I, I, know, I don't take my finger off the throttle because it's easier just to keep the airspeed up rather than slow down the speed up. So launch it and just keep it wide open and just do the one-minute flight and then, then sort of land it. Um, yeah, so that will do one minute straight, which is, that's, you know, plenty. I can, you know, you, you've, your brain's had enough at that point. You're so, sweating. Yeah, yeah, it's enough, <laughs> a minute is actually enough. What did you start minute. with then? Did you start 4S and then go 6 and then think, oh, I'm going to go make my own batteries and go higher? Yeah, yeah. I started on 3S actually in a fun jet at, at 100 amps going through a Dean's connector and then it was desoldering the, desoldering the connectors. So obviously... No way. Wattage, wattage is what you want. You know, you, you, want, you want horsepower, you want wattage going to the motor. So the... the you can either do it through amps with low voltage or you can do it using a higher voltage and lower amps. And that does, if you go with that route, it means that the infrastructure in the plane is a lot lighter as well, smaller connectors, lighter wires and everything. So it's, it was a logical route to go up in voltage. Um, but obviously the choice of components limits sort of, you know, where, where you can go and six ass stuff's really cheap. I mean, that plane that, that um, you saw, Wayne, was uh, probably 220 pounds all in the plane, the servos, motor, ESC, and everything. Um, but when you step up sort of above six S into into twelve S and things, ESCs are you know a couple of hundred quid each. So it you know the, the whole thing sort of steps up in seriousness. Yeah, we we were just talking about some of the components before we we started, and and one of the things that some people may not consider is the servos you use on that plane because if you use your regular nine gram servo and you suddenly say I want to do something. Um, it's just not mm. going to work. So those were those like fifty quid that. servos a piece, weren't they? Uh, yeah. That can actually move those surfaces. Yeah, f- yeah, fifty quid a servo, but there are only two of them. It's not our tail, so um, <laughs> it's, it's it's better like that. But yeah, you can't really spend enough money on servos to be honest. I think that you know, I see a lot of planes where people say, "Oh, it's you know, this airframe is rubbish. It doesn't fly very well." And they've got three quid servos in it, you know, which don't centre. They're not kind of linear, whatever. If you use expensive servos, everything flies nicer. It, it really is a fact. <clears throat> yeah, it's um, like when people uh, make their cars go faster but don't upgrade the brakes. You know what I mean? It's, yeah, yeah. I think with, thing, with quad flying, you guys are very, are very um, adept at tuning, and you're very critical of it. And you would notice kind of um, inconsistency with with control reaction and stuff. And it, that is the case with planes. If your control linkages or the servos aren't up to the job, then there's going to be erratic movement that you're not putting into it. You know, or in if you you know if the servers aren't strong enough, once you sort of go over a certain speed, the control will be less you know it will be inconsistent again. So it really is. That's that's the other thing as well. Is then you've got these really powerful servos, and then you've got to have a control linkage that doesn't just like bend and flex. What what do you do for that? How do you how do you make sure that you haven't you've actually getting the output of the servo into the control surface? physically test it. I mean, hold the control surface and, and give the server full power and just make sure that everything, you know. But if you just got, like, massive hinges and massive control rod bits between your... your yeah, no, it's, 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 nothing, it's nothing huge, but it's all straight. You know, there's nothing with a sort of band in it or anything like that. Um, it has got... Uh, I'm just trying to think. The, the jet, the one with the... Tur- so the, the planes are both the same, but one has a turbine engine on it, one has an electric motor on it. And I've got slightly different linkages and servos in each one, but, but but basically it's the same. It's a carbon control horn bonded into the Elevon. And uh, I th- on the jet, what I've actually done is bent the control rod, pushed it through the control horn, actually tapped a thread on the end of it and then wound a nut onto it. So it's not a ball joint or anything like that. It is just a rod going through the control link and uh, through the 
horn and, and with a nut on it, and then I soldered the nut on afterwards. So um, I actually I copied it from I saw a plane at Western Park. It was an F five pylon plane or something, and that's what they'd done. They just got the control link straight through the horn um, with, with a nut on it, you know, and you can tighten it all up nicely and get the play out of it. And there's enough movement for the kind of angles involved. So. Um, is that one of the other ones that you can hear from like the other end of the western part? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I must talk about the noise. Um after Mini Air Show, I wrote an article for this magazine, RC M and E. It's very traditional, this one. And in fact they, they had a survey uh about their readers, and it's like the main readers, thirty one percent are sixty one to seventy years old. And then the other load of them are fifty-one to sixty. So it's it's very much this magazine may not exist in a few years because they'll all be dead. But I wrote this article, um, and it was about it's called "Sympathy for the Devil," which wasn't my title, and it was about um, quads and plane people crossing over. And look, Tony, it's a picture of you. Do you remember that one? Oh yeah. And we wrote about MA4, and the editor after I wrote it. Um, said, could you get some some more opinion from somebody more in the sort of traditional model flying? And I talked to a guy called Ray Cox. Ray Cox was the um, he he's sort of chairman of the Spitfire Flying Club at Popham and something else. Is he Frank as well? He's, he's sort of the head of the Aero Modelers. Yeah. So he was a good guy to talk to. I thought about like because I thought if he was going to be angry about quads and stuff. He'd tell us what his concerns were. And he only had nice things to say about them. But there was a paragraph um, he told me, and it didn't go in the magazine, but here's what he said. See if you can guess who he's talking about. He said, only a couple of concerns about the event, which I've raised with Andrew and Mike Pearson. I guess that's you, Frank. Yeah, that would be One. <laughs> but number two is we need additional litter bins. We'll ignore that bit. Number one, <laughs> use of the very high speed and noisy flying wing. Even with the 30-metre boundary by the camping zone, any break of this model at speeds it achieve can be hazardous, and the noise risks a complaint from our nearest neighbour, although none was forthcoming. Who do you think he may have been talking about? <laughs> so, in fact, the whole thing of MA4 was, it's like, oh, those quad people are okay, but that guy with the flying wing, he's a danger. <laughs> yeah, but bearing in mind, this is like where we had an X-Class... At least one X class flying around. We had jets, uh, all jets. the turbines. <laughs> yeah, we had the uh, the uh, fix uh, the um, you know the sort of the race course, the race track flying at the same time as all the fixed wing stuff going on. We had the uh, um, the the freestyle competition going on, and and all that kind of stuff happening, and no A certs or B certs for for any of that kind of side of things. Um, and then, yeah, the, the one sort of bit that got the back up of these old boys. <laughs> it was okay with a plane. <laughs> yeah, I got. What, I, so, so I took it to a. I, I took that fun jet to a model show in a place called Morton in Marsh, and it's a um, a very old model club, one of the oldest in the country, I think. And it and it's. I would say that, that most people are over seventy there, and I, and I. I'd been to this show before and I said to Adele, um, come on, let's go there and I'll take the fun jet and I'll just see if I can fly it. And it was a fiver to pay. And I thought, go on, I'll, and I'll give this a go in front of these old guys and did a flight. And as I landed, somebody came up to me and said, you can't come back again with that. And then just leave. Flew for one minute and they'd already had a complaint from the somebody that owned horses next door. So, yeah. oh, well, I can see. I can see. <laughs> it is completely insane. And it, it's mostly to do with the fact that it's a very small prop spinning at like sub supersonic speed. So, one, one of my questions as, as someone that I'd like to like go fast is that one thing you might think you do to make a plane go fast is put a bigger prop on because you think, oh, if I've got like, say, a, a, a thousand kV motor and it's turning a little prop, then if I put a big prop on, it's going to go faster. But it, that's that's not how it works, is it? No, I think there's two things, really. There's the I'm not a scientist and I have no formal training, so anything that comes out of my mouth, take with a pinch of salt. But basically, as I understand it, that you've got thrust speed and you've got thrust volume, so and you've got drag on the plane. So it's a kind of balance between all three of those. You need enough thrust volume to overcome the drag so that, you know, 
it, no matter how fast the gas comes out the back, if there's not enough of it in volume, it just won't push the plane past the drag. So um, it's finding a, the right size prop for the airframe, spinning it as fast as you can get away, well, to a point, um, and then using as, uh, dialing the speed in with the pitch, basically. Um, so it isn't just about a bigger prop. It's about finding a prop that, that when the, say so you, you're going to try and go at 200 miles an hour, you need a pitch speed of, say, 300 miles an hour, and then enough volume to push that plane at, at 200 miles an hour. I don't know if I'm making sense, really. It's kind of yeah, hard to, I understand what you're saying. Kind of hard to explain. But you can you can see from the results that sometimes that you've, you've got an excess of thrust speed, but that the plane isn't going any faster. So it means that there's not enough area. So you put more area on and then sometimes you can see that the plane's almost going at the pitch speed of the propeller. So it's all, you know, it's almost going, which means you could get away with more pitch speed. So it's just a, a balance. So um, when you're running you... 6S okay. on that, what um, what size prop are you running and what, what KV is the motor? Uh, so I always try to run a, basically the only commercially available props really are a square pitch, aren't they? So six, six, six and a half by six and a half, seven by seven. Um, so I was using those kind of props before and um, uh, now I use a, a seven by 14 uh, prop. So I forgot what your, what your question was that. And, and what KV was the motor on this uh, 6S? So I've run two, two different KVs at 6S, 1900 KV and 2700. But <laughs> what I've learned is the main thing to avoid seems to be supersonic prop tips because it just makes a lot of noise and you lose you lose a lot of How power. do you avoid that? That was going to be my question. Like, How do you know when you're, you're hitting supersonic speeds and, and how to choose a prop that avoids that? I, I guess you can calculate it or or do an RPM measurement, but but basically you can hear it. You know the difference between something that's supersonic and something that's below it is when it's coming with the supersonic prop tips. When the plane's coming towards you, you can hear the echoes of that disc of pressure wave coming off the prop as the plane's coming towards you, and that disc is you get like a pre-echo hedges. Yeah, exactly that hedges and trees. That echo is loud in the plane, so you almost hear those echoes coming before you hear the plane. If you see what I mean, the, the noise from the front of the plane is not as much as it's coming down below it in this disc so it's pretty easy to hear this i've got some good examples on my uh youtube channel of when it was uh is there any way i can link a video you could link a video to show because it's probably the yeah. best example yeah, sure if you, if what video do you want uh it's called uh 264 mile an hour overhead or something i think it's like 10 videos back or something 264 like. airplane sound close, amazing sounds so that's it yeah, yeah that's the one yeah yeah, that gives so you a really good example be... of these echoes coming. I, I had a look oh. on your RC groups thread, and it seems that you're you're ordering rather specialist propeller blades one at a time now and, and clamping those yeah. onto the hub yourself, right? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, so th the limitation comes, obviously, with a 7x7. Seven seven. I can't spin it any faster because it goes supersonic, so I've, I've run out of speed, thrust speed that I can get. So the only way to get more is to go more in pitch. So now I'm using a 7x14, obviously they're not commercially available um so there's there's guys in germany that make those right. um, speed planes over there so I've, I've kind of starting to buy those now they're more they're like 50 quid a prop so for two yeah. grand it's 50 quid plus the home and everything so you got to look after them yeah. but, but pitches, pitches go up to um in seven inch about 14 pitches about as much as i could find but the next project i'm going to build Hopefully, I'm looking at a 10 by 31, so it's a lot more than so, and 15 or 20 kilowatts to drive it. So the, the thing with the over-square props is they, they the amount of power it takes to drive them is really crazy. You know, it's, it's 15 to 20 kilowatts. So you're already on an APD 200 amper, and you're pushing 14S through it off a custom 2-amp power pack that you built. Yeah. How, how the hell are you going to go up from that in kilowatts? <laughs> Um, to 20s, 24s, or something like that. So again, I only use small, small packs, but a lot of them. So in the next project, it's going to be a uh, essentially just a wing, no fuselage, and the cells are going to be laid out in the wing to try and just reduce any frontal area possible. So make the thing as thin as possible. So I'll split probably 1800 milliamp hour packs um, into two asses, uh, lay them out in the wing, and have 24 cells in total. So. Sorry, I'm just downloading your video. So no no <laughs> jump then, 14 straight to... Why are you downloading it? to 18, just go... How do you lay them out for charging? Do you have them just as twos for charging or, or what? 
No, so that's, that's an interesting question, actually. It's quite a difficult problem to overcome because with, say, 14S, you'd have to have a lot of interconnects in the battery to bring all those cells together, so there'd be quite a lot of resistance in the chain. So what I do is I solder the whole pack together, um, leave the balance leads on each cell, and then I've got uh, individual charges, which I run off an individual LiPo each so that none of them are connected. There's no common earth across the charges. And then each charger can charge its own pack within that 14S block um, without affecting any others. So you just charge it through the balance leads, balance charge all the cells. Um, and so I can go to any voltage doing that, really. If I had 10 charges at four at four cells per ch- you know per charger or something. Mm. <laughs> oh, yeah, I seem to remember your your old charging thing. Did, was it you that had the loads and loads of cheap chargers? Yeah. Instead of buying yeah, sort of lots of... They're still working, yeah. Multi-chargers. <laughs> it's just yeah, loads of... Right, you ready for this? Things. Yeah, you'll hear right. the echoes just, just about now start to come. 425. <laughs> 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 that battery's dead. Next battery. Wow. That's what was that? Not just, not just empty, but on fire. <laughs> so what, what, what um, battery and speed was, was that? That one? was about 200 and... 60 miles an hour, I think 400 and 410 kilometers an hour or something. That was 6S, just with the 7.7 prop. So you can hear the supersonic tips there. It's, it's everything I can give to a 7.7 prop, really. So, um, <laughs> you you can see yeah. that the FPV picture must have improved because I remember just a few years back you, you were using trackers because when you were testing speed, and obviously if you can see it, it looks speeded up because all these fields are just flowing past because mm. it was going out of range so quickly. Root's track was just like, you could just see this, this big <laughs> helicopter trying to follow it. It's just so speed because it was so quick. Yeah, it's, actually, I just use a pair of goggles, a pair of Fat Shark goggles with a Fat Shark 1.3 receiver in them with a cloverleaf on it that's all i use because there's the least failure points in that if i've got a ground station with a tracker any one failure in that system could could leave me without connection so i just fly to the limits with with that and it's it's fine so um there's there's always a loss of picture because i use uh vertically polarized antennas in the fins of the plane so when it turns back towards you there's a no on the end of the aerial so i always expect that when it turns that i'm going to lose the picture but it you know it comes back as it levels off, so um, right. Yeah, yeah just, is it you, difficult to fit the larger antennas in the in the aircraft? They're actually structural in the plane instead of protruding out of it. That's it. Yeah, but they're built into the fins, so I cut into the bottom of the fins and, and slotted them up in there. So there's, there's nothing sticking outside the plane. Like drag is the number one mm. battle. You know, it's it's. Uh, I can't remember what the, it goes up by a square of four or something um, to to go. You know. It's, it's not a it's not a square root faster. It's it's you need four times as much power to go a bit faster. So <laughs> I think it would be interesting to see what would happen to a one point three helical if you put it on that plane. It looked like some tree that was caught in a gale. It come just, just <laughs> bent over <laughs> in this little point. Wouldn't be happy on the rear hatch because I had a, a meltdown last time. It actually damaged the rear hatch a bit, and it, I wasn't happy with how it's clipping down. So. I cleaned it with alcohol and I put some sellotape on it. And I tell you, the sellotape was stuck down good, real good. And when I landed the plane, the tape wasn't there anymore. So, speed cleaner. Yeah. Oh my God. This episode was recorded in front of a live online audience, downloaded and edited to make sense when it's played audio only, censored to please the iTunes people, hosted on the internet, forwarded through to your podcast provider, downloaded, playing on your device, and is now playing in your ears, all thanks to our Patreons. Consider joining them and you'll also get other online benefits. Find out more at patreon.com forward slash let's drone out. I wonder if the, the, the Menace Aeropod would survive you. <laughs> like, are you aware of these? I can... Well, that would only increase his drag, though. That's the thing. Yeah. He's already built but, them into the fins. Well, they're, they're meant to be... Yeah, they're meant to be aerodynamic. Um, uh, men, uh, it's all about not wasting frontal area, so any space that you've got spare, if you can put something in that rather than having it sticking out. It's, it's like a bubble that sticks on the airframe, I think, the one that Jack's yeah. talking about. Yeah. Mm. If you can yeah. put it on the airframe, it's definitely better to... You know, it makes a huge difference. Absolutely, absolutely huge. Have you got to the point where you're like trying different like surface treatments, like waxing it or something, just to see if it will <laughs> reduce the 
the skin yeah. of it. Not, not really. There I'm just go. doing kind of big leaps at the moment. Really, there's no need to kind of go into. <laughs> <laughs> it's really it's just it's just keep going up in power and stuff until i get to what i think's the limit and then i guess start really trying to optimize it from there but i, mm. I think you know I, i've been having a chat with a, a german motor builder who kind of dismissed my project pretty quickly but um, <laughs> i, I really would like to try and go 700 kilometers an hour so and, and he just he laughed didn't think it was a very good idea he suggested a way of doing it but i didn't really want to get on that route so um, what mo- rocket motors? No, no. I think I think it can be. I think it can be done. It's it's just about drag. It's about getting. You know, it's, it's not always just about adding more power. There comes a point where, you know, you've got to just try and get the the plane as small as possible with as much power in it as possible. So that balance of it being able to land really that's the only limit is is can you land it? You know, the stall speed goes up and up mm. and <laughs> to the point where I'm landing at a full size airfield and it's a 600 meter runway and it, it looks small when you're coming in it does you know. <laughs> so it glides the, the stabilized approach so i've kind of worked out how far away it's best and it's about a kilometer uh, at 100 kilometers an hour at 30 meters altitude and it will glide in from there so it'll do a kilometer at 30 meters altitude uh at 100 kilometers an hour before it's down to 60 where it stalls so it's that's the amount of energy retention it's got so if you're if you're looking at 700 mile an hour can you really just eyeball Oh, kilometers. kilometers. Okay, yeah, yeah. that's yeah. not not as hairy then. No. I was just wondering what, uh, what realm do you think? Well, this is about time to do some uh, fluid simulations and about time to go and buy my own personal mini wind tunnel. How, yeah. how, how long can you take it? Just eyeballing it. <laughs> I th- quite a long way still. I think it seems to be going up. I, I think what I need to do at this point though is kind of confirm the numbers a bit a bit better because there is some doubt. Uh, certainly amongst the German speed community as to whether it's legitimate because it's a GPS reading and they're saying I dived and things. So I, the next flight is about... How much about are you really getting is diving? Yeah, right. they, dive, they dive and then they pull out and they fly through a 200-metre course. So I've got to get a reading across 200 mm-hmm. metres using a couple of cameras and some Doppler readings and things just to get just to put that to bed, really, because we've done it before with Doppler readings, always within... Because I'm flying a straight line, I'm not turning i think everybody's used to gps data loggers and when you fly line of sight obviously the gps is getting a bad vector all the time and bad signal so the readings are pretty corrupt but when doing the kind of runs i'm doing i'm in a straight line for one and a half kilometers and I, and the reading is sta- you know stable it's going up pretty stable there's no wild numbers so it, for me it's it's accurate enough but um i think i need to sort of prove it uh, on the next flight so yeah. <laughs> I was going to say 700 the, the, miles an hour you're going to need heat shielding kilometers kilometers everyone can hear the uh, screaming in the background there's no kids that's his batteries sorry Curry I cut you off <laughs> oh, and I forgot what I said. Oh, yeah, I'd say the Germans are such stricters for rules, and unless it's the rule about not putting your towels on the sunbeds, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to criticise the Germans. Without them, I couldn't do it. It's their propellers and their knowledge that I'm, I'm feeding off really. So. I can't design I, I, I guess some of the problem is now just getting the right parts because mm-hmm. you're such at the the sort of edge of of mm. what people are doing. It's not like like. Mm we were saying this before it's it's like if you yeah. want to build like a 6s or a 4s regular quad it's easy if you want to build x class like tony flies you're very limited on the amount of motors that are, are there the amount of escs there and then it, right. it's big money to do it so he's using the top end x class apd 200 amp 14s stuff and then he's yep. talking about going up from that to a 24s <laughs> and I, that's not even x class kit anymore that's like above what an x class would use yeah, it's so still, still APD. So still, it's just the oh, next okay. up that APD do. It's not. I think it's a similar size, but it's in a in an aluminium case. And are they are they do four hundred amp sixteen s or I think it's twenty four s two hundred amps or something. So, um, wow. Okay. Just, oh, yeah. I hadn't seen that part. Impressive. Yeah. Yeah, but it's again, it's it's all off the shelf stuff. So I'm living off other people's developments really i'm not i'm not making the motor i'm not making the sc i'm not making the prop i'm not making the plane any of it i'm just putting together stuff that's off the shelf so it is a lot now, than the bit that really impresses me is you're doing all this totally manual like there's no flight controller there's not no oh shit, like please no. just like fly in a circle while i perspire and grab a glass of water 
you're just you're on the sticks all the time and and if you fail the plane fails right yeah yeah for me it's the other way around it's very important that the plane doesn't fail so the less i can have in the system that's the reason for the goggles with the Mm. simple system i've seen more crashes with flight controllers than i've seen of people just manually crashing a plane i've seen all sorts go wrong and also the this dynamics in the speed it's going to go from a stall speed of 70 kilometers an hour to 500 kilometers an hour at the top so where would you set the gains where when you wanted it to take over you know because if it if it pulled the kind of gains it needed at say 200 kilometers an hour if it pulled that much elevon in at 500 kilometers an hour it would just fold up so <laughs> it would be more of a risk to have have a flight controller it'd be a complex to tune it very well you don't i wouldn't get any chances to tune it that's the other thing every flight is it's got to be a, a run, a record right. or something, because the battery is only right. going to last a couple of three flights. So I don't want to go waste it. <laughs> well, um, you have to throw them away after. Well, the, oh. I'm about setting the top speed, so obviously, if the battery's not performing as well as it could do, it's you know, it's it's not worth it really. So um, I, you know, keep them fresh, and I heat them up before I go. So I heat them up on a hot water bottle in the van before I go, and um, that makes a big Sense. difference. In performance. Sensible. Do you have like a a beta frame that you just kind of, as in like a you know a runabout that you just fly for fun without worrying about speed records, or is it is it yeah. that that is what you do? The one that Wayne saw is the one that I fly sort of just for for a laugh, really. Um, the slow yeah. one. Yeah, yeah, it's like 100, over 100 miles an hour slower. So, um, uh, I don't know if I, could fly this, I don't know if I could fly this 14s one line of sight. To be quite honest, I think it would be a real handful trying to land something from a kilometre away at 30 meters altitude. You know, so especially I'm, I'm when it's only like limits. two foot wide, <laughs> it would be quite difficult. But you know, ultimately, I would have to if if there was an emergency. So, I, you know, I'd give it a go. But these aren't the only FPV craft you, you've flown, and I, I've seen some lovely ones. I think some a lot of people would have seen your awesome Spitfire videos. You've got some, although that Spitfire externally looked really beaten up. It looked gorgeous from the inside cockpit view, which and I think it exploded. And then was it was it one called the Magnum, a real slow flyer yeah, yeah. that you used yeah. to take around sort of just car parks and random places. Yeah. Um, Roop's done the sort of things that we might do sort of like bandoing on quads but just with planes instead which is <laughs> nice nice and slow flying because I remember I, I said to you I was like, oh this looks good to get is it any good in the wind and you said no, no. if someone breathes it's like yeah, yeah. It, but. But on those days where it's right for that it is the most fun you can have honestly it can put it anywhere you like and it's just flexible and you can just fire it through gaps and it doesn't matter if it hits it and you know they're good fun the magnums are but um you get, there's many different thrills you can have, isn't there? You can have a thrill at 10 miles an hour, and you know, it's it's a different thrill at 300 miles an hour. It's very short <laughs> and panicky. <laughs> you know, it's kind of over before you know it. So, why do you do it to yourself? Yeah, I, I, I don't know if I can call it fun at that point. It sure, it really is exciting, but I don't, I don't know if it's fun in the same way that just chucking a plane about is. You know, it's it's. I what sort of range do you get off the 1.3 gig setup? Is it? Uh, problematic at all or is it fine for the runs you do oh the range yeah so happily to kind of two or three kilometers so i one of the things I'll, i do with the plane any of the speed planes before i fly them is a physical range test so we go at our local model club there's a hill that's three kilometers away so we take the plane up on the hill and have the transmitter and the goggles on the ground and do kind of range checks turning the plane upside down and everything make sure it all works and it's fine at three kilometers so i've not been out that far in a run yet but um, well, I think your battery just, uh, will wear like out cross if you want to get back again. Control link. What's that, sorry? A crossfire or something for the control link on uh, 900? E- easy UHF. Oh, wow. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> From the old days. Yeah. 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 It's got the most penetration, the most range. Yeah. Mm. Old is gold. Yeah, so, it's simple. Like, a lot of people would complain that 433 is a bit technical, and if you've got your antennas wrong and mm. you, you can you can cock it up but it, it's, it's working if, if you it's get not it right, broken it don't works. try and fix it if, it, if you get it right case. it works really well yeah and again that's another reason for not having excess electronics in the plane i'd like to have a data logger in there but again that's just more noise for the uhf right. so the less that's in there the better really and it you know it, it does work very well so i've been to well no, i can't really say the distance but yeah you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah, meters probably you know at least that far so. You had a friend who flew how far? 
Yeah, I did. I saw somebody once fly sort of twenty kilometers or something away. So that's very dangerous. Yeah, must have been in France. Yeah. Oh, isn't isn't it a shame for the laws? Because I really, really would like to take this plane somewhere flat, put it five miles away, and then just fly a whole battery back at three feet off the ground. You know what a video that would make and what fun it'd be, but. I can't legally do it. I can't ask for permission to do it. You know, it's just, it's not even feasible to do it's it. It's like salt flat somewhere. Yeah. yeah. Perhaps, <laughs> perhaps one day one of us would just find an SD card on the floor. That sort of footage is on yeah. and we can share it. That'd be good. Yeah, yeah. I found this, honestly. Probably you find some beach areas and, you know, mud flats, estuaries and stuff like that where you might get a good run. It's the it's landing it. It's having a runway that's 600 metres long and, flat you know it's coming in at 60 kilometers it stalls at 60 kilometers an hour so um it needs a pretty nice surface to drop on so See, the thing is with, with a lot of like planes or quads you can be quite subtle you can find an area where perhaps you're not meant to be and you can sneak off in there and you can do a couple of flights and you can come back and like he no one saw me people in the next county along can hear your plane so it's like it's not like you can just sneak off <laughs> like in news reports like you know mountains of complaints from some unexplained noises coming from this area of woodland get the, the, the beast of whatever yeah, banshee screen and things yeah if you want a nice a nice farmer with a field on the coast somewhere so you mm. can just like go out to sea and blast it Mm-hmm. I spend about an hour a night on Google Earth just going around the country. And <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, the trouble is, uh, airfields would have been perfect. All the World War II airfields would have been perfect, but they're solar farms and housing estates now. So, what about Camber Sands? Nice Camber Sands. So, the big people on the sands. With the, uh, and sand, I don't well, know. Well, I've been there early enough on a summer's morning where there's no one there. Really? Okay, yeah, maybe. I think somewhere oh, I'd, I'd like to go somewhere with perspective some scale to it so you could fly over mm. a derelict town or something like that so that you could see the buildings going past because it does just look like a full-size plane when you're flying at that speed it, the perspective just it doesn't look that fast you know until you go past a car or something but when you see mm. my fan <laughs> below it, it's tiny you know it just doesn't make any sense so um yeah i'd like to get some perspective into it and um, get a better better video next time so Un- unidentified flying rupert uh um richard warwick was uh recommending the um uh the speed flea um which has got a uh gps on it as well Mm. it's still gps isn't it yeah i've got one of those but you know i've had readings that are just absurd with it so i I can't really rely on it i don't know because I was flying in line of sight again, so I got readings of 350 miles an hour out of a fun jet, so it's not realistic. So, so do, do they want basically um, sort of basically two posts where you can have some laser or something to record? You went from there to there, it's a set distance, yeah. therefore your speed is this. Yeah. What we're going to do this time is put two GoPros on their back, 200 metres apart. We go, we'll sync them up first, walk them out on the runway and put them on their back, and then I'll fly over the top of them. Hopefully we'll see the plane in a frame. We'll also hear the peak of the sound as it goes overhead, so we should be able to get a time between those. And we'll put another one at the end of the runway, so 600 metres. So I'm going to try and do the whole runway, 600 metres, at 500 kilometres an hour, or average 500 over it. So, And that will kind of put the put that to bed, really. And then I can, do, you make, do you make sure you go out when there's, like, zero wind, or do you have any tailwind, or do you go no, against wind? Do you just, just when I gather the kind of balls to go and do it, really. It you know? <laughs> <laughs> happens. I'm like, right, today, I've got to do this, tomorrow, or whatever. I've just, it's got to happen. So, And actually, having spoken to some of these German speed guys, they're saying that they've seen differences of 100 kilometres an hour between, between uh, meteorological conditions. So... Uh, he was saying that mm. relative humidity apparently is the biggest factor to look at. That um, and the day we did this 500 kilometers now was, you know, you can see how humid it was. It was, you know, it was a thick cloud at um, 300 meters, and you know, it was a pretty sort of misty day. So um, there could be a lot to come from flying on a hotter day where the air is thinner and it's less humid. Oh, really? So less yeah, to punch it, through. Yeah, hopefully. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So the, the, the drag is more important than the thrust. You lose a bit of thrust, but obviously that drag is. But if you are RF reception as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Propped up asks, do you have to do two runs or just one? Um, 
I think have to is there's no real official record for it. And I think it just started on um, FPV Lab. There was a, a sort of forum thread and it was your, your personal best, basically. Everybody's sort of furthest distance mm. and high speed and stuff. And it was that ladder, ladder board that I was, you know, blown away by the speed people were getting. And I kind of worked my way up it, you know. <laughs> and then it, unfortunately that stopped. So the kind of competition sort of, st- when the regulations came, and I don't think people wanted to publish how far mm. they were going, how high they were going. Um, so, so that kind of stuff. So I only really fly on those rules. It's GPS ground speed. So you kind of got to be level at the time of the reading. It, you can be downwind because it's about flying like a fighter jet, isn't it? So if you if you want to use the wind, you can use the wind, but it means you've got to launch on a windy day and, and things. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, there's, there, are, there are no rules, but other people in speed, different speed uh, spheres have rules. And I kind of want to do something that relates to their rules so that, you know, I don't get kind of laughed at. <laughs> so there's no official body that's trying to jump in here. I mean, Guinness would be the obvious one, but is there anything in the Model Flying Association that encourages this, or is it all just dubious because of the line of sight <laughs> requirements? Very, and spotting and I don't think this is encouraged. <laughs> no, no, That's why it's so much fun. It's kind of a shame because it's a great <laughs> yeah. technology showcase. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. I'd like to. I, I really would like something to come of it. Somebody to contact me and say, "Hey, we'd like you to do this, or we'd like to supply batteries, or just maybe some help with it somewhere." Mm-hmm. Nice. Nice. I think I'm going to maybe do a video and just sort of say that that um, this next one's going to be more expensive and time-consuming, and I'd like some sort of help, you know, with it. From like you were saying, do I need to do more aerodynamics? So I'd like to get somebody involved that that's knows about aerodynamics. I don't want to. It's too much learning to, to really know what you're doing. I'd be, you know, I'd, I'd be just stabbing a stick at it, you know, really in terms of what you need to know to get aerodynamics right. So it'd be nice to get somebody involved in that and somebody to help build it as well, somebody that's good at composites and somebody to supply batteries, maybe um, just making a better project, you know, more more than I can afford. Mm. Maybe, so. So, so what is your airframe? Is it still foam at the moment or have you got a carbon fibre airframe? What is it's, that? Fiberglass, for reasons of the video, uh, I think carbon f- anything I've tried with carbon fiber is not so great with the video. So, um, yeah, just just fiberglass hollows. It's a, a single layer of fiberglass, then Airx foam, and then another thin layer of fiberglass over it. So it's not just a thin layer of fiberglass. It's actually quite structural. So, but the plane was only really designed for 150 miles an hour when it was when it was you know when the guy made it. So um, it's got to be getting close to. What you know, what it will stand. I think. Laughing. <laughs> yeah. Do you notice any resonance? Do you notice vibrations start to build up when you take the speed up? Then. No, none at all so far. There, there is a a yaw wiggle on it for some reason. It's always had that at any speed. I don't really know what it is. I've had some aerodynamicists talk about divergent kind of drag or something potentially coming off the step in the wing, but it doesn't really seem to affect it. But it's it's definitely not any kind of um, flutter, which would be, you know, immediately. Have you, have you had any kind of high-speed failures? You find a weak link in the chain when you take these things up to the intended speed, or has it been pretty good? I, I, did to start with, I did to start with, and I think that I learned pretty quickly that you've got to make stuff much, much stronger than it needs to be in order not to come across those problems because that will just wreck the whole project. So, um, yeah, yeah I, did, I had servos kind of not being strong enough and stuff and quickly kind of just went for the best that I can fit in there. Um, what, what type of brands of servos are you going for these days then? So for 200 miles an hour, there's a lot, really. I mean, Savox, I've always stuck by, but I had a Savox fail recently that put a Spitfire through my girlfriend's car window, so. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Um, So for the top end, it's MKS, which is what, um, I don't know if you, people would have seen Spencer Lisenby's glider record, the DS glider, which puts my record into Mm. absolute, you know, it's, it's, kids games compared to what he's doing he is line of sight flying at 545 miles an hour yes you know, we've seen over the guys doing yeah, i think we said the video that's yeah, just yeah. bizarre the dynamic soaring thing how it just More keeps accelerating thing. and accelerating and like weird. he did a um uh, a ted talk um about some of the things involved with that and the with with the best servos the best radio the, the minimum latency you can have his You've got to see the plane. You've got to think about it. You've got to put the input in the controller. That's got to get to the plane. It's got to be the servo's got to move and everything. And his latency in that respect is a hundred meters. So he 
whatever happens, he's got to be a hundred meters ahead of it because it's already wow. happened. Time he's calculated and he's got to the plane. <laughs> oh my god! When this reaches eighty-eight miles an hour, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> great Scott. Yeah, yeah mind, mind blown. It puts what I do into you know insignificance, really, I and mean, it's it's amazing, absolutely yeah. amazing. Looks like he's got a one big, big rope and he's just <laughs> yeah. wheeling it around his head. He's essentially got three meter propeller, I think it's four meter propeller blades and a 80 mile an hour wind to use on them, you know. So it's actually, I think if you calculated that in watts that it's able to use it, you know, it's, it's probably quite a lot, I should think. Right. Um, we're going to have to get through some questions because uh, we've only got 10 minutes left. Badger FPV asks if you could do. Uh, could you do peak FPV signal strength like Cereva does in uh, lap timing? I, I don't know whether that would work. I, I don't I mean, know how fast that would I'll, I'll step in there and say it probably would work, but it would mean you're then having to engineer a 1.3 gigahertz lap timer, and we've only just got hold of like 5.8 You'd also have to fly a preset course through flags, which might be a little tricky. That's mm. what I'm going to do this time. I'm going to try and fly it right over okay. the top of the camera so hopefully it's i can point it where i want it i mean i can fl fly a pretty tight line with it so i just stay high at the moment just to avoid problems it was just trying to get the speed so this time we'll try and get the speed and try and be three far off the ground hopefully so <laughs> looking forward um, to the noise from the go yeah. <laughs> caroline taylor asks ever considered a variable pitch prop yes yes definitely I, i'd be interested in that but how it would be possible at that sort of power level in something that small, I don't, I don't know. It doesn't I'll seem. Ask the heli guys. <laughs> yeah, it, do, it doesn't. Yeah, yeah. I guess heli, heli equipment like tail equipment probably would be the best place to start looking. Um, yeah. I don't know why it hasn't been done already. I haven't seen it in the German speed planes are the kind of benchmark of what's fast in electric, and I haven't seen them using that kind of technology. So I don't know. Maybe they haven't thought of um, they must have thought of it but you know maybe they just haven't implemented it yet but they're probably they've probably tried i would think um badger badger rc says have you ever have you contacted the fai for ratification no it wouldn't it wouldn't be legal uh for that i think there'd be there's certain stipulations in that that, that mean it wouldn't be it wouldn't be legal there's classes FIA that that would. Um, so Frank, is it is it the visual line of sight is must be a max of four hundred meters or something? Is that deal well, for this? I mean, there is the guidance that those five hundred meters is generally accepted to be the the extent of visual line of sight. But there are things like they do say in the guidance like if you if it's kind of dusky and you've got leds on it so you'll be able to see it further away than that so that it, there isn't like a hard limit if you can justify it like a bigger aircraft you, you know you can see that further away so it's so not if you like had some nice 500 bright wingtip leds potentially yeah. that would actually be illegal right like then yeah yeah which you uh, can take to 10k as previously mentioned uh shady uh says uh set up a race with top gear <laughs> uh, that's what I'd like to come from that. I'd like something to come. Somebody to say, "Hey, can you bring your plane here and do it?" Yeah. I'd love it. I'd love it. But yeah, something um, like over in Dubai racing um, yeah. Bugatti, something like yeah. what can yeah. go faster. Yeah. It better yeah. be quick. <laughs> yeah. um, Magic Pencil asks, "What is the best crash you've ever had?" Um, I had one recently with a fun jet that was only probably 120 miles an hour, but I hit the ground at 120 miles an hour, kissed the ground, and the battery was 100 metres away from where the plane landed. Is it like a crater? What, what shape was the battery when you found it? Still working. It's a lithium-arm pack. Wow. It's a lithium-arm pack. It must have, when the plane hit the ground, it must have trebucheted out the back of it and done it in a single <laughs> a single log. So. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> but, yeah, nothing, nothing really spectacular, fast crashes or anything, because I just kind of build stuff strong and it doesn't go wrong. So yeah. um, nothing, nothing really too bad. Um. Uh, Shady asks, do you still see Mark, Charlie, Jeff and Kev? No, sadly I don't. I would love to. I still speak to Mark on Facebook sometimes. Um, 
I think they, the story was their work schedules changed and I think there was some trouble with the farm. It all got a bit popular, you know. It was just the four guys to start with and then it was kind of 12 or 15 people turning up and mm. I think another farmer started charging for the field and things and I think it just it all changed and they got fed up with it. And to be fair to Mark, he was editing the video a week and answering every single message and I think, you know, I think he's got a young lad. And, yeah, he's got a young lad and I think it was just it's too much. Oh, yeah, he said he was enjoyed, getting like 100 gigabytes of footage because he was yeah, just like going out for hours and just filming yeah. and just yeah. having to edit that. It was so much fun though. I can't, you know, that was, I can't say how much fun that was. You don't know what you got till it's gone really, I think. That's mm. the thing, isn't it? I still watch uh, him every now and again if I want to chuckle. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Caroline Taylor asked, slowing down, tried streamer deploy? Yes. Yeah. More. Yeah. It would be nice, but more, more stuff on board, and how do you deploy it, and what mechanism, and just yeah, more problems. So, just the minimum. Got the prop out the back as well. Minimum stuff. So that's one of the problems I've got now is that the prop I was using before was a fixed blade prop. So when I was landing, that was windmilling, so it was acting as a brake. But now it's a folding prop, which is why I've got this ridiculous landing approach now because it just there's nothing to slow it down. So I think on the on the next project, if I'm going to do this 24s project, it's going to have to have some kind of some Lifting. flat lifts up or split add-ons or something. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe two sets of elevons, you know, split add-ons. Just fire a shoot out of it. Any, any pillboxes in that field you're flying from, you can sit in there. <laughs> I would be in there. <laughs> Failing that all behind Jack, probably, yeah. probably hiding behind Jack, I would be. <laughs> Don't blame you, mate. Don't blame you. <laughs> but the trouble I do is, love like, the sound. Uh, I think you should also get a, a pulse meter on you for next time, just to see what it says. <laughs> I think our, our, our pal Bruno used to do this when yeah. he was trying to fly high speed stuff, and it was it was high. And I mean, I, I stood behind him; I could see his legs shaking as well, which is always quite quite an indication that he might be quite scared at the time. There was a PR for beta flight, you know, to add that into the on-screen display heart rate meter. <laughs> the genuine code cool. contribution. Now, I, I've always noticed this because sometimes when I go out and fly, I, I walk and I put my I put my Apple Watch on to like record my steps and my heartbeat. And sometimes I forget to turn it off, and I'm packing up my stuff. and My heart rate is still like oh, I'm at 150. That's interesting. That must have been quite exciting. <laughs> or I'm really unfit. One of the two. Yeah. Why does it have to be just one? <laughs> Bruno, Bruno, Bruno was a legend, really, wasn't he? He was, um, he, he was kind of inspirational to me with his jet-powered fun jet and things. It really, um, that's why I built the jet plane. Really, he did it, and I thought, wow, that's a great idea. I want to do that. So, um, and his uh, heart rate monitor thing was brilliant as well. It really added to the videos. I think. I so, oh yeah, I'm pretty rubbish yeah. at the back, actually. So I, I don't know if I could even do that, to be honest. He had all the fun of building launcher. Launchers are great because at least two in ten times they will fail and it's just like just this slow like yeah. off the end of the launcher. Yeah, that's that's the thing, isn't it? It's all happening two foot off the ground with the launcher for a period of time. It's two foot off the ground near its stall speed. So they kind of they're a real risky option, I think. Yeah. Um, that's why this vert launch is, is really good if you can if you can do it, you know. Yeah, I guess it's it's it, it's complicated in the fact you need like multiple people and and you know lots of moving parts, but easier if you can get it up there. Yeah. Uh, propped up FPV with that heli prop, it'll be spinning mass that would be the problem, I think. Ah. More uh, mechanical gubbins being spun around. Yeah. Uh, double A. So did he say what it was like in the future yet? <laughs> <laughs> Um, Shady goes, how's Adele, does she still go flying with you? She's great. Thank you. She's very well. And uh, she does still come flying with me. She, I got her ornithopter, which is a, a brushless powered flapping bird, which is great. Cool. She does that. Cool. Yeah. So we don't get to do it so much these days. See with a youngster in tow, but he'll get there. He's, he's saying the word aeroplane now, so we're getting there. Promising. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, guys, um, that is all we've got time for. Uh, but, uh, Rupert, thank you so much for coming along and, mm. and joining us and like, sharing your incredible flights. And we hope for many more successful uh, records. Think of us and uh, keep us updated. <laughs> and, Good luck. Uh, yeah, if you want any of our stickers to then stick on your airplane, then, then you 
uh, have them peel off due to excess <laughs> speed. Let's <laughs> nice. slow it down. Uh, yeah. Um, you, you've been you've been joined by uh, Curry Kitten. Goodbye. Uh, oh my Google Bird or Rupert. Wow! Look at that monster. Uh, he's holding up a big 14S old fourteen S battery. battery that has what only can be described as about six a balance leads hanging <laughs> off it. And what what connector? Uh, EC5. It's not many. It's, it's only 170 amps, so it's not, uh, not too Only. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you've been joined by Stephen. Cheers. Thanks. My darling wife. Bonjour. Uh, our Lord and Master, Andrew slash Frank. Bye. And I've been brought to the fly. Thank you, guys. Good night. And bye. thanks for all our bye. patrons. Bye-bye. Telemetry lost. We have also had delivery of scarves that I think they're mostly accounted for, but get in touch if you want a scarf. Bye.